Today's scripture is Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Allison. Good morning again, everybody. Uh, My name's Sean, if I don't know you. The lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Uh, Redemption uh, Church is one church, 10 different congregations, and this is uh, Peoria. So um, we're elder-led, lead pastor-led, and um, you might have questions about that. I'd love to help you navigate uh, any of those questions that you might have. Um, I'm going to pray for us uh, here. Uh, If you're new, we're in the middle of going through the entire book of Ephesians. So we go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. The goal, honestly, is to do a big Bible study together. We teach exegetically is the fancy term for it, uh, and uh, we're excited. I mean, up to this point... Uh, we're, geez, we're, we're now in March and we're just now finishing chapter one and we started at the beginning of the year. So we're going through it really slow and today, and today's another uh, example of that. So I want to pray. Um, I do want to say something real quick. This time isn't for announcements, but I know some of you bounce early and don't catch the announcements at the end. Just a reminder, if you don't know next week, we're not at Centennial. We're at Paseo Verde Elementary School, which is right down the road. Just, you know, it's on 79th and Greenway. FYI, if y'all been bouncing, not staying, you know, take the Lord's supper or something at the end. That's cool. Don't worry about it. It didn't, wasn't that important to him anyway. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, let me, uh, let me pray for us real quick. And then, uh, we're going to jump into Ephesians one. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We really are grateful. We're grateful that though we've made church our lives a talent show and bought into the world's lies, that you're always eager to bring us back to you. That there's some of us in this room that are throwing heavy stones and trying to carry the weight ourselves, but you tell us to take upon your yoke. Lord, there's some of us in this room who have neglected the poor and bought into favors, sirens, tune. We're called to dash upon the rocks because we believe that in some way the systems of man or man-made popularity or favor is what the Christian life should be about. And we recognize and repent that it's not and that you've called us back to you. We're grateful for that. We ask now that you would use Ephesians to um, yeah, bring to light these things that we are so um, easily drawn away from and that we would see these things clearly. Please give us the ability to see the text for what it's saying and not what we want it to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So today, um, we're going to double up on a verse that we were at last week. So we did verse 18, and we're going to double down on that verse again. And here is last week. You have to understand, uh, today is kind of part two of what we talked about last week. And last week's whole goal was the idea that we, um, that, that Paul is praying for believers. He's praying for believers. And as he prays for these believers, he prays that they would know Christ and that their eyes would be enlightened. And then what, what I try to walk us through is that essentially what Paul's doing from that moment is he's giving us ways to know Christ more. And one was to, to focus in, uh, and rely on and continue to remember our hope. The second one was to remember the fact that we are God's inheritance. We went over uh, the fact that we inherit 
many things from God, but what we saw in verse 17 is that we are God's inheritance and what that does for our souls in remembering the fact that we're wanted, that, that God desires us, that, that God went to the cross for us and many other things which we're going to talk about today. And so um, as we see that, there was a third thing that we're to focus on uh, to, to continue to remember how we could know him more. Now, the previous text, if you weren't with us last week, said this in verse 15 through 18. Uh, said this, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, <clears throat> excuse me, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then we read this last week, but we're going to start with it this week. And and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. So that last line there, verse 19, again, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might is the third thing that I think Paul is putting in front of us to hone in on and focus on as to see rightly, to, to, to know that we know Jesus in here. For the most part, those of you who are believers in here, you, you can make the declaration, I know God. And yet Paul is still saying, you, you know God, but I'm going to pray that you know God, that you know him intimately, that you recognize there's more than this casual interaction on Sundays. And so what we did is focusing in on those things. The third thing that he puts in front of us is the word power. And from that point, he begins to give us kind of adjectives and descriptive statements in describing what we're supposed to do. So the third thing, again, when he makes the declaration, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? What does that mean? Now, it's important that you know this. As you read that statement, um, there's something fancy in Greek called an inclusio. It's essentially bookmarks. It's a way to understand a statement. The Beatitudes are an inclusio, meaning the way that you start one statement is the way that you uh, end the statement. It's almost like a thesis on the front end and the back end to describe everything that is in the middle. And this this language of power um, is, I I would argue, as he starts from this really long opening thing on soteriology, he's going to go in on uh, the, the, the salvation now, not just the study of salvation, but how we as individuals are saved by grace through faith. He's going to get into racial reconciliation. He's going to get into men and women, husbands and wives, families. He's going to get into all of this, Jew, Gentile. And I would argue this statement starts in inclusio and it ends in chapter six, verse 10. And it all has to do in the middle of all these things are under the banner of his great might, his power. Okay, that's really important. So when we see that, understand everything that we're going to talk about from this point on, whether I'm up here, John's up here, Jim's up here, Vince up here, whoever's up here, okay, we're, we're going to be talking about it through the lens of understanding this is in accordance to this inclusio according to his great power. But why does that have us know Christ more? Like, like what do we, when you hear the words, let me read it again, I want to read as much as I can. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who, uh, us who believe according to the working of his great might? W- what are we supposed to do with that? Now, we're going to unpack power and might and all that, but I want you to see a little statement in there that's worth noting um, because I think is, it's what helps us begin to understand how uh, a statement like that, God's power, can help us know him more. And it's the, it's the language right in there, toward us who believe. Do you see it in there in the middle? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? 
So uh, those of you uh, who don't know, I got saved in high school and got saved into a charismatic world, charismatic background, right? Any charismatics in the house? Don't be ashamed. I'm raising my hand. Okay, I'm alone. I'm the only one with the, I'm the, only one with the spirit. That's cool. Um, okay, so um, no. So, so in that world, what, what I came to, to find before entering in the Reformed community world um, was that there was a lot of language about power, right? And I've shared some of these stories before. Dudes asking some of my youth leaders to pray that they would give Wolverine claws and um, the ability to fly and all this stuff. And there was this power. There was this power you would read about in scripture of, the, uh, of legit stuff, casting out demons, right? And, and, and having faith for healing and all these different things. Now, what I want you to understand is I'm not saying none of those things are real. I think yes and amen to those things. But when we hear the language towards us who believe, it's kind of hard for us to understand because the rest of the way that the text describes it doesn't seem to be describing it in that way. Okay, so first let's describe this power and then we'll understand how it gets about being towards us, how this lifts our faith up. What what Ephesians 1 is doing is it's giving us faith in this moment, but how? So listen to this, okay? In describing this power, um, we're, we're given the ability to look back, look at verse 20, this power according to his great might, this is God, that God the Father, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the first descriptive word we can get from this word, uh, 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 from this idea of power, is the resurrection. And that's big in the charismatic world too. I walk in resurrection power. And I want to say yes and amen to that. But, but what does that actually look like? And the first glimpse we get when talking about power is looking back at Christ. Look at me. Jesus was dead. He was dead. And he was made alive again. He was brought back from the dead. Now, that has become so callous in our minds that when I see that, it's like, yeah, I know. But if somebody was quite literally dead on the stage right now, your heart, my heart would go, I mean, God could do it. I mean, he could if he wanted to, but let's be straight. He's not going to raise him from the dead. Like, like you, you would have the, the yeah, no, I believe he could. And if he did, you'd be surprised. You ain't kidding anybody. You'd be like, that dude was dead. Let's take some, three days dead. You would be surprised. That, you'd be like, I have no category to understand that. That's power. That's the power that we're looking back. He was dead and he was brought back from the dead. But it's not just in his resurrection, which the church has historically always celebrated. And I would argue is the pin in which we hang everything on. We believe the apostles' testimony, and it's their testimony about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talk a lot about the cross in in, uh, uh, Christian circles nowadays. We don't talk that much about the resurrection outside of Easter. And the reality is it was the resurrection. It was that power that Jesus was raised from the dead that the church was all about. They said, no, listen, I can't explain everything, but all I know is Jesus was dead and he was brought back to life. I don't know what to tell you. And it was on that testimony. But there's a next step in this power. Look at this. And this is important for... For us to understand how he describes verses 21 through 23, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, the resurrection, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So we understand the life of Christ kind of through five key big ideas, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Now, there's no question we celebrate the first four, but we don't really track along with the last one. The fact that at the end of it all, Jesus could have been dead, been raised from the dead, and just 
Deuce, wrote out on uh, Peyton Manning, winning the Super Bowl, I'm done, be gone with it. But instead, he raises into the clouds. And I think in the same way, what the resurrection is doing for our hearts and minds, not just symbolically, but literally, Jesus being raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead. We can look at Jesus, and it's not just symbolically, but Jesus ascends to the heavens for us to know and understand that he is above all things. And what we're told in this language is he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, so before I hurt my ankle, about a week and a half uh, before I hurt my ankle, I remember sitting out in the front yard. Corbin, my oldest, is 10. Titus uh, is 8. And uh, some of their buddies were over. And I was just sitting there. And they, they wanted to get wild. Okay? So I, come on, Sean. You want to wrestle? You know, and they're, come on, dude. Let's wrestle. Right? And I'm sitting there. And check it out. I'm not worried for a second. One of these dudes, one of these 10-year-olds can just give me a right hook. And I would be like... Okay, because in that moment, listen, I could take all of them, pin them all, crumple them up into a ball and throw them in the trash can. Okay, it would not be much effort at all. I I wasn't worried about it at all because I'm, I'm, I'm a grown man. I'm bigger than they are. I'm stronger than they are. I have no worries about this. I sat there comfortably while they're trying to taunt me, poke me, prod at me. Even though I was sitting, I was showing dominance in that moment. I'm not scared of you. Now, now here, here's what, what I want you to see. I think there's intentional language that Christ has accomplished what he's accomplished. That's what we see as seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, I want to read something from J.R. Packer because it helps give us kind of language of why this is here. And I promise all these dots are eventually going to connect because we're looking at this power. Well, the power in the resurrection, but also the power in the fact that Jesus at the right hand of the Father, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, which side note, crazy about uh, seated at the right hand of the Father. 17 times this is mentioned. There's only one time where he's standing at the right hand of the Father and and it's when Stephen is being martyred, when one of his believers are going through persecution. He stands at the right hand of the Father. Crazy. But anyway, all that to say, he's seated there in power, Uh, We see this in Psalm uh, 110.1. It's actually quoted in uh, Matthew 23, this idea that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's something going on here. J.R. Packer, I think, gives some clarity as to why the language is is the way that it is. Listen to this. What we can say is that God's right hand refers to the Messiah, the Lord, Jesus Christ, and he is of equal position, honor, power, and authority with God. The fact that Christ is seated refers to the fact that his work and redemption is done, And when the fullness of the Gentiles is brought, as in Romans 11, Christ's enemies will be made his footstool as uh, as the end of the age comes. All prophecy is completed and time is no more. There's a declaration that Christ has done what he's needed to do, what he needed to do. He now sits at the right hand of the Father and he makes his enemies his footstool. He sits over creation. So he is, in that moment, sitting in the yard, the devil pokes and prods. There's that, there's that. No, 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 no. He's in power. He's in power. He's in the position of power. Okay, so um, what I want you to see as we lay this out, I want to read verse 21 for us because I think there's something important. The descriptive words from this point on are going to begin to describe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension of Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father, what exactly is Jesus over? What is he over? Listen to this. So he's seated at the right hand of the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So let me read it again. He's far above all rule and authority, 
power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Okay, so let's stop real quick. This is where I think the Ephesians are a little bit ahead of us. So if, if, you, if you weren't here from the beginning, um, Ephesus is a super spiritual place. They believe in spiritual things. They believe in deities. They believe in gods. They believe in the supernatural. So much so, some are willing to sacrifice all they have so that God would give them rain. God would make them pregnant. God would give them finances. God would take care of their children. Whatever it is, they believed in this. Now, we as Christians would say we believe in this, but unfortunately, we've bought in this post-enlightenment naturalistic idea So much that we have forgotten that we're spiritual people. That though the world believes that it's here and now what you taste and and see, what, what, what you can know, what you can test is all to be true. You've forgotten that you believe this. That there are rulers and there are authorities, there are powers, there are dominions, there is spirituality over all these things. It is real. Very real. And the Ephesians know this. For the Ephesians, it's, it's so much conjuring up uh, what they want from God with different things. If they need this, they can, you know, do this, do this, get this. Do this, do this, get this. Very similar to what we even understand of the prosperity gospel today. Very demonic. And so, so when this is put in front of us, I want to remind you that you're a spiritual people. As a matter of fact, let's go back to week one in Ephesians. I don't have this on the screen, but I want to read a quote from a guy named Gambus uh, who wrote a commentary on Ephesians. And, and when he wrote this commentary, he made this statement for the way that we as Christians are to understand. So just listen. I read this week one, and his point is, this is how we're to see the book of Ephesians and understand this. So this is from uh, Timothy Gambus in the, the drama of Ephesians. Paul's letter is a narrative account of the victory of God in Christ over the powers that have hijacked God's world. So do you hear that language? Ephesians is about how Jesus looks at these powers that have hijacked God's world. No, no, this is is mine. I'm in control. I'm all powerful. Listen, but he's not done. Holding it captive and enslaving humanity. The ideology of divine warfare saturates the letter, shaping its entire argument. Ephesians announces the triumph of God in Christ over the powers that rule the present evil age and then narrates how the church participates in this triumph. And then listen to this language. This is what I said, um, I think, uh, encapsulates uh, the book of Ephesians. It gives us a heavenly interpretation of reality. It helps us understand Your job, your family, the governments, immigration, gun control, racial reconciliation, dating, technology, parenting, helps us understand all of these things on and on and on and on and on. It helps us understand these things through the lens of the gospel, that you would remember you are a spiritual people. Now, I need to unpack this because the language of rule and authority, dominion, power and dominion is not uncommon uh, for Paul. Paul uses this language all the time. But what does he mean when he says that? If Jesus is sitting over at the right hand of the Father over these things, what are these things? And to remind you, um, if you're not a believer in here and you say, now there is no supernatural world, things are about to get super weird for you. Because what I'm going to put in front of you is there is spirituality over everything. So one of the the accounts in this is in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Just listen to this very quickly. I'm only going to read two verses for us to understand this. 
You can turn there if you want, or it's going to be on the screen. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. You ready? According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, of the world, and not according to Christ. Do you understand? So there's a way, these elemental spirits of the world, the way that these, uh, these beings do things, and then there's a way that Christ wants things done. Keep going, verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, what you can do is you're looking at your, your uh, Bibles uh, real quick. Um, you can literally, you might have to turn your pages, but more than likely you don't have to. The next section that we're going to cover as at, we're at uh, Paseo Verde Elementary School the, the next section that we're going to cover in chapter two, I want you to look at this. I just, you can literally just dart your eyes over. I want you to listen because if we don't understand this, we're going to have trouble understanding what happens next and what happens next helps us understand what we're even reading as well. So listen to this in chapter two of Ephesians and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Oh, the reform community. We love some of this in which you once walked following. I want you to look at this language, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Two things are clear, are, not, are, are they not? First this, look at this, following, look at the two followings, following the course of this world. There is a way that is not of the gospel. There is a path, there is a journey, and I don't just mean uh, a sinful ways, I, I'm talking bigger than that. What we're getting at, there are systems, there are ways to understand the world that are not of the gospel, Following this, that the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. There's a way and there's a leader of that way. So, so if you can, you, you can track with me real quick. When, when we read the language far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, this stuff's real. That there are rulers, there, 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 there's a dominion, there are powers and there are authorities that are at work that are counter gospel. So let's just stop there real quick because um, for the last hundred years, what we've done is we've honed in on the, the small gospel. And this is something we talk a lot, a lot, a lot about uh, at Redemption Peoria and Redemption Church in general is the fact that for the most part, you process the gospel through the lens. Just focus on the gospel, which means talk about your sin and talk about ultimately how Jesus saved you from your sin. And I've tried to affirm yes and amen, excuse me, yes and amen to that over and over and over again, Okay. But that is part of the gospel. That is not the whole gospel story. And what we're finding now is millennials specifically, over and over, they're looking at that small gospel and they're going, that's good news. But I'm telling you, I'm seeing starvation. I'm seeing my, my, my friend being persecuted and, and, and have racial discriminatory things thrown their way. I'm telling you, I'm seeing there's a brokenness about the world that that small gospel is not addressing. And what I want to, to remind you of, as a spiritual people, we believe there's spirituality everywhere and that the gospel pertains to it all. It pertains to it all. So let me read something again from uh, a guy named Stephen Mott. I know I got a lot of quotes this morning. I apologize for that, but I, I think they're helpful. In Stephen Mott's uh, book, which I've quoted before, Biblical Ethics for a Social Change, he talks about this very idea that for us as Christians, it doesn't just, like the charismatic world doesn't have a monopoly on spirituality. You tracking with me? They're, they're not the ones who say, oh, this is what it is. No, Reformed, 
charismatic, I don't care where you are on the spectrum. If you are a Christian, you believe in spiritual things. You believe in spirituality and you believe there is a way of doing things and there is a way of not doing things. And ultimately what we're seeing in all of this is these forms, these um, powers, these authorities are, are manipulating. They're, they're, they're driving. Someone is leading the way that the world is to work. Something beyond what you can taste and touch and feel. It's real. There's something over the government. There is a power over all the racial things that are going on. There's something beyond what you can see. Listen to this. Stephen Mott, I think, says it perfectly. One obvious characteristic of social life is that its formal elements are much older than the individuals who constitute it. Even on our very mobile society, in our very, on our very mobile society, the continuity outweighs the changes by far. The symbols, the customs, the traditions, the basic laws, the technology, the techniques for getting things done and distributing power were here long before we came and will be here long after we are gone. This is the invisible agreement upon which society depends. That there's something that was moving the world along before you came here and there will be something that moves the world along far after you. And, and, and whether that means going into these big dispensations of time, whether the, the uh, um, post-enlightenment, post-modernity, wherever we're at now, as we move in all these times, there's something behind all that. I, uh, there's a statement I want to read from the former president of uh, Midas Muffler uh, uh, Corporation because I think he says it perfectly as he's describing business. Listen to how he described business. This is not a believer. This is how he described uh, business. A circumstance of large and uh, personal forces over which no one seems to have much control. Even heads of corporation are like, um, like, uh, like mufflers, shouldn't be there, uh, a, like mufflers. One part can be replaced with another, and then a replacement part itself can be replaced. So indeed are corporate chairmen and presidents, and they know it. They are not that important. The corporation itself goes on with or without them. See, there seems to be a spirit about the corporation beyond them. So, so what I'm, I, I need you to understand is as Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, it's not just your sin. It's not just, um, it's not just loving your neighbor. All these things are yes and amen, they're true. But, but even as you'll see next week, your neighbor is following someone right now. They may not know it. They may not confess it. They may not believe it, but they have a leader. And even if they say they lead themselves, that's not what the Bible puts in front of us. They're following the prince of the power of the air. They're dead and they're following someone. And what I'm trying to put in front of you is the gospel is bigger than just the individual soul, just this one person. No, it's on a cosmic level. There are rulers and authorities over all things. Uh, one more quote for you. I know I've said a lot on this, but I, I think this is um, worth sharing. It's from Piper. Nobody disagrees with Piper. Come on. Um, the risen Jesus Christ is over all history, all human beings, all demonic powers, disease, disability, all nature, weather, hurricanes, lightning bolts, tornadoes, volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, global warning, all businesses and industry, healthcare, sports, March madness, inventions, Media, internets, iPad mania, military might, military might, governments, presidents, kings, chiefs, religions, universities, solar systems, stars, galaxies, molecules, atoms, subatomic particles, and 10,000 things no man has ever yet discovered. Jesus is now head over them all, conscious, 
active and authoritative ruler. So this is what you need to understand. This is what's crazy. There is a spirit about Planned Parenthood. There's a spirit about Planned Parenthood. Can you turn my mic down? It's really loud and I love to be loud already. So that ain't helpful. So here's what I want to say about that. Um, We can hate the organization of Planned Parenthood. Well, let me just be straight with you. I hate the organization of Planned Parenthood and I pray many times that it dies. Um, I'm catching you early if you didn't know that we were pro-life. But, um, but check the, hold on, it's, not a, it's, it's truly not a political statement because we're absolutely, well, you know what, we'll get there when we get there. We'll let Ephesians do its thing. My point in saying this is there is a spirit about Planned Parenthood that even if Planned Parenthood went away, that, that even if it never started, there's a demonic force that desires to kill babies. It's been true all biblically, historically, it's always been true. There's something beyond that. And so we can try to work up all the efforts we want. We can try to fight against all these things that we want to fight against. Not recognizing, Jesus, you rule, you reign. And for whatever reason, in this moment, you are allowing this organization to thrive. You're allowing this thing to be. And I don't know what's going on, but here's what I have. I can pray. Jesus, hear my prayer. And though my, my protests may be there, though my, my letters may be there, though, though the emails to Congress may be there, all those things are yes and amen, but there's something beyond a greater tool that I have, and that is something spiritual. That is prayer. Now, I got to catch you early on this because we're going to get into all kinds of this stuff in Ephesians 6. So understand, Jesus is over all things. Now, let's turn this thing on its head. Now, something ha- that happens, how does this bring us faith? What is this supposed to do within us? This is crazy. You ready for this? Look at this. Verse 22. And he put all things, what are we talking about? All all things, right? Everything we were just talking about, rule, authority, all these things. He put all these things under his feet, still talking about Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. You hear what just happened? Jesus is over all things. Now being over all things, he is the head of what? The church. He's the head of the church. And being head over the church, we now are the body, the fullness of him who fills it all in all. Now what does the body do in correlation with the brain, with the head? Everything it tells it to. Let's keep it real. Let's not overcomplicate the analogy here. We as the body of Christ live out, play out, do what we're supposed to. Let's move this over here. Do what we're we're supposed to in light of what the head tells us we're supposed to do. So this is is where where it's trippy. Now, I want you to go back. I promise it's about to connect, and I hope that some of your heads just explode. Um, Okay? The power and authority above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. You see that in verse 21? So let, let me uh, break this down for you. So let me show you something that um, we show all of our leaders, and I almost guarantee if you've been coming to Redemption uh, uh, Church long enough, you've seen this. I want to show you this image because it's really important. We, we, like I said, we show it to our leaders for us to understand where we are at currently um, in this, for this age and the age to come. Now, the, the, the Jews, um, pre 
uh, Mark 1, Matthew 1, John 1, Luke 1, but pre the Gospels, entering the story, and Jesus bringing his kingdom is what we know historically as the old age. So let me show you this. Here is the old age. Now, when the Jews saw, heard, and, and understood the Messiah to come, they believed that the Messiah was to bring this new age, this age of prosperity, this age of dominance, this age of God reigning, this theocracy, if you will. But the way that they believed is they believed that, that ultimately what you would see, jumped ahead of me, Steve, you dirty snake, okay, um, is don't imagine these circles overlapping, but imagine these circles ultimately just touching, right? They believed as soon as the old age was going to end, the new age was going to begin. But that is not what Jesus puts in front of us. The image that we show all the time is there's a recognition that there's the old age. Jesus came at the beginning of the new age, but we live, you could go ahead and put it in the middle right there with the X. We live right in the middle. We, we live in the fact that some of the remnants of the old age are still there, but in power, we live into the new age. This, this time frame is what we call uh, already, not yet. That Jesus has already come. This is big gospel stuff. I guarantee you've heard this stuff if you've been coming longer than six months. That Jesus has already come, but things are not fully consummated yet. Now, here's the reason this image is important. Um, There will be a day when all killing of children, when all racial um, divisions, when all murder, when all hatred, anger, all things done in sin will be no more. There will be that day. But today's not that day. Right now, we live in a time where there's this overlap and we exist in it. So why is this important? Because Jesus has given his church in that little middle sliver there. The church exists right there. The church exists in such a time that we know and believe that we have someone who is over all things sitting there at the right hand of the Father. We believe that, but we also recognize everything around us does not seem to come under that authority. And so he's given the church, you ready for this? This is where hopefully the dots begin to connect. Hopefully this is where you recognize and be encouraged to continue to dig into your faith, that your eyes would be enlightened and you would know Jesus more. He's given his church, you and I, to the world as a people to symbolize what is to come. So the church, listen, this is really important. Let the world argue about racial, systemic racism. Let let them argue about it. We're going to get into all that, and we're going to talk, I would argue it's true, and we're going to talk about all those things. But, But here's what you need to understand. The church is the answer. The church should be where, man, Hispanics, blacks, whites, Asians, Caucasians, Romanian Caucasians, because about a third of our congregation is Romanian. <laughs> All of us come together, and despite socioeconomic differences, despite backgrounds, despite uh, race, wherever we're, we're at on that, we, we press in. We press in, and we've got questions. I, I feel like there's certain things that, and, and I get it, man. Check this out, and we're going to talk about this a ton. If you're a Hispanic in here, or Asian in here, or black in here, I get that we're predominantly a Caucasian uh, congregation. I recognize that we're predominantly white. And for the most part, if you guys know my story, growing up predominantly around Hispanic and black people, it's been a change for me coming into the church. I remember the first time sitting in a room and thinking, wow, this is a lot of white people. I promise you not, was at a church. That was the first time. 
But, but what we're told here is that the rulers and authorities that continue to keep race divided, this word that we don't like, this sin that continues to keep race divided, is no more in the church. That, that, that stigma, that hatred of the other does not exist in the church. The, the way, this is important, there is something over governments when it comes to immigration. Do you understand? So we're arguing about what is constitutional rights. Christians, hear me. Forget constitutional rights. What is right? What is right? What is godly? What is he putting in front of us? That's what matters. We are not Christian Americans. We're, we're, we're not wrestling. We are kingdom people who happen to live in America, who love America, who support America. We are all about of it, but we are dual citizenship. And we are kingdom people first. And so if you can understand this, that the rules and, and the, author, the rulers and the authorities and the powers that exist over all these things are there. But God has given us a different way of life. Now, you ready for this? I would argue that's resurrection power. You, you think it's, I, I forgave them. It's not that big of a deal. No, that's, that's a big deal. Like existing in community with somebody who's not like you and it's difficult they, they, maybe they talk too much. Everybody's got somebody in their community like that. Some, somebody else doesn't share their opinion enough. Well, wherever they are on that spectrum, whoever exists, wherever they are, no, 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 listen. That's resurrection power to be able to exist, coexist as the people of God, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter what socioeconomic background you come from, that ultimately he has given us the power of the resurrection, him being our head, to look towards all these systemic things. And the church would be, um, yeah, let, let's get it. Let me just say this. The church would be a safe haven for the immigrant and lost, for the poor and marginalized. The, the church would be a, a safe haven where all these other conversations about race are thrown on Facebook or Instagram and they're filled with hatred because I'm so following Trump or I'm so following the liberal agenda, wherever it is. Man, listen, get out that mess. Get out of that mess. Get out of there. There's something else, a ruler, a power, an authority, a dominion that is over controlling those things. That's not where we live. We look at scripture and what does scripture say about immigration? What does scripture say about racial reconciliation? What does scripture say about philosophy? What does scripture say about money? What does scripture say about parenting? What does scripture say about marriage? All the world around us has different ideas, but those are different philosophies. Those are different dominions. Those are different powers. No, no, no. We follow the true king who sits at the right hand of the father. That should encourage us. That should make us dig in and want to know Jesus more. That should enlighten the eyes of our heart. I want to read one more thing and then I'm done. When, um, when I read Gambus before, um, there was a quote right after that I thought was worth sharing with you guys because um, I think there's a crossover that I, I want us to focus in on. And it says this, it's kind of a longer quote. Ephesians has a tightly woven narrative structure that is driven by the pattern of divine warfare. Do you hear that? Ephesians is going to remind us of this divine warfare. Well, you think divine warfare is just like, it's, it's these angels and demons battling it out. Some kind of fictional story that is out there. And I think there's definitely an element to, to, to that being true. But there's far more going on. This divine warfare is happening with your neighbor. Like your neighbor can't believe because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. That's spiritual. You can't 
talk them into the gospel. So there's something else going on there. Ephesians is giving us this pattern. And we must be people who discern, as Piper would say, discern, who seek to know what the will of the Lord is in these times. Living in this world in the time of the crossover of the ages requires discernment because our engagement with reality involves paradox and contradiction. That's so good. It is not a straightforward or easy thing to live during this age. The time between the cross and the day of, uh, the day of Christ. Not everything is as it seems. Reality is not what it appears to be. And we must pray and reflect on how we can have an imagination that is shaped by Ephesians and not by the world. So stop letting Republican, Independent, Democrat decide how you process immigration, how you process racial reconciliation, how you process guns, how you process war, how you process justifying self-defense, how you process all of this. What does the Bible say? And as crazy or as radical as that may be, follow that dude who sits on the throne and what he has to say. Let's wrestle with that as a church. He's given it to us. His light still continues to shine within us. His power still exists within us. When we believe, honestly, may we believe it's true. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness towards us and your grace. Thanks that's beyond anything else we can try to conjure up, your ideas and ways of life are just better. And it's unfortunate that the apathy of our hearts towards the scriptures has continued to push it away, almost to make it feel like it's unrealistic. But I pray against that. I pray that we would be a people that are ferocious for your word, that that we desire and care about what your word says and what you're telling us. Thank you, Jesus, for for something bigger than just us getting saved, going to heaven, beyond all of that, that you are saving us, yes and amen, for a purpose. You have blessed us with that salvation to be a blessing, that you would reconcile all things to the cross. Thank you so much. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. At this time, we're just going to be. And um, the point of this time is for you to sit. And I want to read something. Uh, to you that I think is uh, worth uh, being read. I've already shared like a hundred quotes with you, so I might as well share this one. But I think it's important because um, it's, it's what I'm describing right now is not easy to process. Listen to this. I know that the vast majority of you do not feel that power. It sounds idealistic. It sounds like religious hype. It sounds vague and theoretical. It does not correspond to experience. And so you instinctively feel that it's a piece of fiction. I don't blame you for feeling that way. I've often felt that way myself. But by God's grace, the word of God may change your mind and your heart. I can't. God can. God may. Piper, when he's preaching through this sermon, um, had said this. And I remember, I listened to this years ago. And I remember processing this power of the resurrection as I was leaving the charismatic world, trying to understand what it was, and trying to get into this bigger gospel. And I know everything I'm putting in front of you, I'm with you. It's not easy to understand and easy to track with. But as we sit and be, pray that God would give you the, the ability to understand it. Pray that God would give you the power to live it out. Take some time, just be, process where you're at, let the Holy Spirit do his thing.